As I said earlier, we've been um, making our way through uh, this amazing, amazing book of Isaiah, prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, um, living 700 or so years before Jesus came. And uh, we're up to chapter 8 and the final part of chapter 8 and into chapter 9. And again, I find myself... um, this week, just in awe of the scriptures, in awe of this amazing prophet of God. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with some of the words. I read it at every carol service. And um, it is just inspiring. So we're going to read from verse 19 of chapter 8, which is where we left it last, last week. I'll wait for it to come on the screen, Alan's. There he is. There he is. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. That's Tim's ringtone. <laughs> Just at the right moment, eh? There you go. I'm going to go back to verse 20. Actually, I'm going to start again. And when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and look upwards and they'll curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. They will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Napoli. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I don't know if um, you've seen the film The Darkest Hour. 
Um, it's an amazing film. And uh, it tells that kind of thrilling and inspiring true story that begins at the precipice of World War II. As within days of becoming Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, played amazingly by Gary Oldman, if you've not seen it, it's an incredible uh, portrayal. And Winston Churchill must face one of the most turbulent and defining trials of his life, exploring the negotiated peace treaty with Nazi Germany, or standing firm to fight for the ideals, liberty, and freedom of a nation. As the unstoppable Nazi forces roll across Western Europe, the threat of invasion is imminent. And with an unprepared public, a skeptical king, and his own party plotting against him, Churchill must withstand his darkest hour, rally a nation, and attempt to change the course of world history. And why I choose that as an illustration to begin looking at this passage, um, because I truly believe that God's hand is at work throughout history. And he uses the people down through the history of this planet to bring freedom, deliverance, whatever. But, and whatever you think of Winston Churchill as a politician and as a man, he was used at a critical moment in the life of this nation. And uh, that darkest hour, for if you imagine, had Nazi Germany won the Second World War, what a different world we would be living in right now. There was a very dark future on the horizon And the background of Isaiah, particularly these early chapters of Isaiah, is a really dark time. He prophesied under four kings. King Uzziah, remember when he had the vision and his call, that was in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, Uzziah's son Jotham, who was a good king, but quite a weak king. He wasn't able to bring the people back uh, to to worship Yahweh, to, to serve the Lord. And Jotham was succeeded by Ahaz. And if you read the stories of Ahaz in in the Old Testament, um, he was a very wicked king. Not only did he abandon faith in God, he he encouraged the people to to bow the knee to Baal. He set up pagan worship centers. He sought mediums and sorcerers. He was into the occult in a huge way. Which is why Isaiah begins this part of his prophecy with that condemnation of those who seek mediums. It only brings darkness. To turn away from the true and living God and seek um, help from, from the spirits will only bring distress and darkness. And how does that darkness come? We've got a map. I love maps. Sorry about this. I just do love maps. But I think it does help us sometimes to understand the actual political situation that was going on. The Assyrians were now the, the power in the region. It had been Syria, or the Arameans, had been Egypt at a time, but now Assyria is asserting itself. And that is the Assyrian Empire at its height. And it encompasses Syria and Israel, and eventually Judea, and right down into the Nile Delta as well. And Isaiah prophesies during a time of deep distress and darkness. He says, A people walking in darkness, thanks, Alan, have seen a great light. 
On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So that's the background. He's called to prophesy at a really difficult time. You remember his call to, to that ministry was that you will prophesy and people won't listen. You'll show them and they won't see. It was quite a difficult calling for Isaiah. And King Ahaz, as I've mentioned, led, that, led the people into a deep darkness. He had broken that covenant with God, forsaken his faith in the one true living God. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9 clearly prohibits the practice of witchcraft and sorcery, yet that's where they turned when they had abandoned trust in the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Israel and Syria had made a pact together to stand against the Assyrians. And they had threatened Ahaz in Judea and said, well, unless you're with us, we'll destroy you. And we'll put a puppet king over Judea and we'll stand together against the might of the Assyrians. Isaiah had come to prophesy to Ahaz and said that Israel and Syria will not take Judea. You must trust in Yahweh. But he didn't. He actually made a pact with the Assyrians, with the king of Assyria. Emptied the temple treasury and gave him gold and silver and said, well, if I give you all of this, will you leave us alone? And of course, the Assyrian king says, yeah. For a time. Isaiah was right in his prophecy. Judah would not fall to Israel or Syria. And so in the background of this prophecy, Assyria asserts its strength. It actually invades Syria, destroys Damascus, executes its king, and takes its people into slavery. And Assyria had been the force for many years. They they had been the powerhouse, but there was a new superpower Next, the king of Assyria turned his eyes further south and marched his troops across the Israelite border. The first areas to be conquered by Assyria were all the the land around Galilee. So if you know your geography of the Holy Land a little bit, it's the northern part. He'd marched into the north. He'd taken Zebulun and Naphtali and subjugated it, taking people into slavery. He might have enslaved the whole of Israel were it not for the treachery of a court official called Hoshea. Hoshea could see what was coming. He worked in the court of King Pekar, king of Israel, and he assassinated the king of Israel to prove his loyalty to the king of Assyria. I've done this for you so that you don't have to invade the rest of Israel. And not only does that, he do that, he sends to the king of Assyria a third of a ton of gold and 37 tons of silver. And the Assyrian king says, well, thank you very much. And he places Hoshea as a puppet king over Israel. And if you read through uh, the kings and the chronicles, Hoshea, that court official, would be the last king of Israel. The last king over the northern kingdom. And during Israel's darkest hour, and that's my link, Isaiah prophesied. 
that God would break in. That God would bring the dawn after the darkest of nights. And so he warns them not to turn to mediums, not to follow Ahaz in his interest and reliance on the occult. He says those who consult the dead, even cursing God, and Ahaz at one point even curses God. Imagine that for a king of Israel, king of Judah, to be cursing God. He warns them that they would only see distress and darkness and fearful gloom, that they would be thrust into utter darkness, but a remnant would survive. Remember what he called his first son? A remnant will repent. A remnant will return. He had a way of naming his sons prophetically. And so there's this contrast in this passage as Isaiah stands for the truth against the false. He stands as those who the faithful would rally to against the unfaithful. The light against the dark. And then we get to that, past that difficult part of chapter 8 into chapter 9 and the mood changes. As Isaiah, and this is where we stand in awe of, of a prophet like Isaiah because he sees something. That is so amazing. His gaze is firmly fixed on the future. And he sees a a time of fulfillment that by faith he would see the glorious reversal of what has been happening. That one day the dawn would break over that very place and region which was first to experience the judgment of God. And make no mistake that Isaiah actually sees the invasion of Assyria as the judgment of God on the nation. That God uses that new superpower to actually invade Israel and Judah. But he says in his prophecy that God has not forgotten Israel in the past. And that's when, because I'm familiar with this passage from the carol service. But I've never really understood it in its context. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations, or the other translation is of the Gentiles. Galilee was known as a place of the Gentiles. Isaiah prophesies that a light will dawn in Galilee, this despised region. It was despised because it was overtaken by the Assyrians, and they were taken off into captivity. It was despised because it was always a mixed group of people. Jews and Gentiles mixed in that area. You'll know that from the way Jesus ministered and went to the other side of the lake where they kept pigs, remember? They weren't Jews that lived on the Decapolis, those ten cities. And Isaiah prophesied that it is around Galilee that the light will dawn. Now we go, "Ah, but we've read the other prophets. We know That Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, will come from David's line. Even Micah, who was one of Isaiah's contemporaries, prophesies that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And that's true, Micah 5 verse 2. But it is also true that Jesus emerges first publicly in Galilee. That's where he chooses to have his headquarters of his initial mission. That's where he chooses his first disciples from, from around the lake, the fishermen. 
And he would also be called a Nazarene, someone from the town of Nazareth. So we know Jesus. Some people call him Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up. It was not known at that point. His public ministry emerges around Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles, the mixed population. It lay on that great trade route between Damascus and the Mediterranean. And it was always being annexed. Always taken over by other superpowers. It was a place of foreigners, merchants, fishermen, Not royalty or kings. But Isaiah prophesies the light will come from Galilee. And these verses contain that stunning prophecy about Jesus. As I said, that we read at every carol service. Put to music gloriously by Handel. And it's inspired countless worship songs throughout church history. Remember in Isaiah 6 that he sees that vision of the Lord seated on the throne. And again, I've, I've read this many times, but I've never really noticed when John, in his gospel, chapter 12, verse 41, says of Isaiah, he saw Jesus in that vision. He saw Jesus on the throne. So when Jesus emerges... From obscurity to his public ministry emerges in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. That land that had been conquered. That land that had been thrown into utter darkness. Isaiah says, a light will come. A light will dawn. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. It's echoed in John's gospel, which we read at the beginning. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, Jesus. And he comes for the world, for all people. And Isaiah says that when Messiah Christ will come, he will turn darkness to light, night to day, distress to joy, war to peace, oppression to liberty. He lists those things. People will rejoice like they do at rejoicing at the harvest. They'll rejoice like they rejoice when they've won a victory. They will rejoice in that day. And then in verse 6 onwards, he reveals the identity of this new ruler, deliverer, savior, Messiah, Christ. Now, some Jewish commentators who don't accept Jesus as the Messiah believe this is about Hezekiah, who is the next king after Ahaz, who actually is a good king, who tears down all the, the um, sort of pillars to Baal and all the, the uh, pagan things and turns people back to the true living God. But this is not about Hezekiah at all because this is the fulfillment of his previous prophecy about the true Emmanuel, God with us. Hezekiah was not God, he was a king. And Jesus is talking, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will smash the yoke of oppression. He will take the burden of government upon his shoulders, but it will be a different government. And it will be an eternal government. He will be fully human and fully divine. And these are some of his names. Wonderful Counselor. 
Wonderful there, a word for supernatural. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He's the the one who brings peace between man and God. He's the one who brings peace into a lost and broken world. Everlasting Father. He is the one who fathers for eternity. Mighty God. Do you hear in that description of what Isaiah prophesies? The Trinity. Jesus is not the everlasting father. The, The everlasting father is the everlasting father. The wonderful counselor. Who's the counselor? The advocate. It's the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, this man who prophesies in this time, in this turmoil, sees what God is doing. And it is amazing. The holy, holy, holy God Almighty, who he caught a vision of in the temple, will come and dwell among his people. And yes, he will emerge in Galilee. That will be the place of his early ministry. Yes, he will go to Jerusalem and that will be a place where he will declare himself as he rides in, as we remember on Palm Sunday. And he will sit on David's throne, establishing his kingdom forever and ever. But it is not an earthly kingdom. It'll be a kingdom with no borders in time or space or geography or politics. And in fact, the fulfillment of Psalm 2, the nations will be his inheritance. And so Isaiah prophesies that the coming of this Messiah, this Savior, his rule will be established and maintained with justice and righteousness forever. Notice here that Isaiah doesn't include the manner of the victory of this coming king. He will do when he gets to chapters 52, 53. Maybe this time next year, if you come back, we might be on chapter 52, 53. But if you want to catch up with that, that's the amazing prophecy to read as well. Where he prophesies that the one who will come, will come as the suffering servant who will be brutalized, who will die pierced. But here he prophesies there is hope. In the midst of what must have seemed the darkest of times, invasion coming from the north, the king abandoning his faith, And turning to the occult, this time of great darkness, Isaiah sees hope. That in that time of darkness, the Lord is at work. And Isaiah will continue to call for repentance and faithfulness throughout his ministry. And from this passage, we too can take heart that in times of darkness, in times when the world seems dark, in times when evil seems to have the upper hand, we just have to look. And we see that Jesus is on the throne. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is going to make all things new. His kingdom is coming And one day we will see it in all its fullness. The promise of Jesus is that he will build his church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When John describes Jesus in that opening passage of his gospel, describes him as the light, and the darkness will never overcome it. Isaiah wants us to know that God is bigger than we think, and he is at work in our world, and he is the one that we can trust with our lives. Let's just pray together.